0: We have a very special guest uh, for the show tonight. I'm talking to Dana Lombardi. Dana, thank you so much for being on the show. It's great to talk to you I'm really happy to be here. Thank you perfect well um there's a lot to talk about because Dana Lombardi has done a lot of things um, but i I feel like uh that it, it never it never fails to shed some light on uh you know all these these diverse people that we have in this hobby of, that come from these different places, but uh, why we actually got into this thing in the first place? Like, what? Why did you end up being uh, such a long-standing, long-time fixture of of war gaming?
1: Wow. Um, well, let me give you the uh, the instance when I first became interested in war games.
0: Okay, perfect. In
1: 1962. I am thinking myself. In 1962, on my 12th birthday, we were right in the middle of the 100th anniversary celebrations of the American Civil War. My parents said, hey, pick out whatever you want in the toy store. That's great. And I went in there and I don't know why, but I was drawn to the game aisle and the games were lined up and I walked over and bam, Avalon Hills, Gettysburg and Avalon Hills, Chancellorsville were sitting there. And Gettysburg was huge. Everybody knew about that one. And for some reason, I said, but I really don't know much about Chancellorsville. Somebody did a game on this. And I said, that's what I want. And I took it home. And to me, it was a struggle at the time to figure out, you know, it was really complicated compared to Monopoly and other games. Mm -hmm. I stayed with it, fell in love with War Games, started designing my own preteen uh, just because there were games on subjects that I would like to see and there were not, so. That's what was the spark that set me
0: on my path to being a, in a career of designing games. That's amazing. So Chancellorsville is not one that often comes up. People will say, oh, you know, I played D-Day or I played mm-hmm. Bulge or, you know, Stalingrad or something like that.
1: Squad leader or
0: something. Yeah. Yeah. Panzer yeah. Pritz, yep. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. well, so, so you played, uh, do you have a specific, uh, did you have an interest? I guess it was the, 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 um, you know, anniversary of the. Of the an important anniversary of the Civil War, uh, uh, 100th you know of 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 eighteen sixty two. But did you have any particular uh, interest in the Civil War itself, or did that because I don't think that ended up being one of your one of your hallmark things, right? I mean, you've done you designed games about a lot of things.
1: Yes, I. Uh... I looked at that game, and the reason that I did was because of all the publicity. This is where popular culture had an influence on making me interested in the American Civil War. Like I said, I was, I was on the cusp of being an almost adult, you know, before you become an adult. And I was just bombarded with the equivalent on television. There was no internet magazine articles and so forth, books about the American Civil War. And so that's what drove me into what is all this about and why is it so exciting? Two things really drove me into getting deeper, more deeply involved. One was the American Heritage Illustrated History of the American Civil War. I, some of you may remember this, that David Greenspan was a map artist, but he did them in three dimensions and he had le- little figures of soldiers and cannon and cavalry marching across the uh, the battlefields. These this book by the way is still available I think it's still in print. Incredible. It's like a miniatures game, okay? But it wasn't a war game obviously. Right.
0: Although it did a- later become I think American Heritage did they did do games, right? I think mm-hmm. that there are American Heritage yep. games where you actually did have little little soldiers on.
1: I think Dogfight, Broadside, uh, there were several other games like that. I think it was through Parker Brothers. Yeah. Speaking of Parker Brothers, a game came out in a magazine, and I cannot right now remember whether it was Life or Post or one of those magazines back then. It was the center spread of the magazine was a map of the United States, the gray and the blue squares, and it had uh, basically playing pieces it was print and play almost, where you could cut out the counters, stick a pin in them, and move them around on this. So that was my, that was technically my first war game, and it was, it was very simple. I think that Parker Brothers came out with a later called 1863. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's a, if it's a rare uh, board game, but that was what launched me, and it was like I was hooked. Military history, I'm, I'm yours. I love it. And so Chancellorsville was my first time to actually get a commercially produced and published games uh, by Avalon Hill. And, of course, after that, I was getting more Avalon Hill games. And then uh, SPI came into existence uh, with Strategy and Tactics magazine, Game and Every Issue, et cetera, et cetera. Well, at that time, as I said, between the age of 12 and going into college – I was just absorbed with all kinds of war games, miniature war games, board war games, and so forth. I got so excited about it that I decided before I graduated to start my own company called Simulations Design Corporation, SDC. Did that with some friends in college. Two important things happen. Best way to get rid of your friends, mm-hmm. even if you don't want to, <laughs> is to go into business with them. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that that's not because it was intentional. It happened because don't go into business with your friends, okay? Not if you want to keep them. All right, that's first thing. Number two, don't start a business without any background on business, okay? <laughs> I was I was studying history. I was studying other things in college, right? So we made every mistake you can possibly make on doing business without having knowledge of how to do a business. So and eventually after several years. That failed, but it it did launch me into a career of working within the trade industry. In other words, uh, my writing and my design skills led me to be in contact with a publishing company in northern Virginia. I was living in San Diego at the time, but I moved from San Diego to northern Virginia, and I started working on a magazine called Model Retailer. And this magazine, I think, is still out there. It's a magazine that goes to model hobby shops. And at the time, they did, you know, radio control. They did plastic airplanes, um, et cetera, model railroading, um, all those things. But I was the person that came in to start writing about games in other words why should your hobby shop sell games and so it was my job to explain to them what they had to do uh how how where to write, find the companies blah 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 and and basically for several years i worked on that and while i was there doing that as a real job i i had had done this game called streets of stalingrad i'd roughed it out we'd spent years researching it and that really was the last straw that killed SDC, okay, and the reason is, at the time SPI had these. They call, I guess they called them uh, what was it? Uh, um, washing machine uh, detergent boxes. The you know the big yeah, box. Oh yeah,
0: the flat, the big flat boxes. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. The, yeah. The, oh, the detergent boxes. You're talking about yeah. the 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 like uh, war in Europe came in one of those boxes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 Operation Typhoon came in one of those boxes. It was exactly. the Atlantic Wall. The monsters. The monsters yep. came out though.
1: Yeah. So I'm sitting there looking at SPI, and they must be making really good money. They had a <laughs> big staff producing stuff, yeah. and I said, "Well, that's what we need to do. We need to make a game like that, mm-hmm. you know, because we can charge. At the time, I think it was like sixty dollars. Like, oh my god, yeah, that's huge, right? Right. I mean, keep in mind that an Avalon Hill game like Transworld, I told you about, was like eight dollars. Yeah, it was okay? cheap. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, we thought that will help us because we're not making enough money, we're not producing enough. Two things happened. One is as we started to get into the research. Well, let me back up and just say why we chose Stalingrad. Well, well let's, before we back up to but, that,
0: because I want to go through the students. I, uh, <clears throat> listeners are going to find out very quickly that I, I'm a huge fan of Streets of Stalingrad and have a lot of Streets of Stalingrad minutiae in my head. But but here's the, here's the question for you. So just to back up at the SDC thing, can you just tell me what it was like? Like what was – how could you go about getting things printed? Because you had a magazine called Conflict, correct? Yes. Conflict magazine. Yep. And you were, you were basically trying to compete with strategy and tactics, but you were going to do, yep. like, it was going to be jazzier, right? It was going to be, you're going to have more color and things like that, yep. all the things that, that cost money that obviously I think probably sank the business. But, but, yes. <laughs> but, but <laughs> what, I mean, how do you go about getting stuff done? Like, it's 1970 or so, right? Yes. How, how can you get things like that printed? Talk to me about being Dana Lombardi in 1970 and saying I'm going to make a magazine called Conflict. I'm going to put it out and have a game in every issue, and I'm going to have these. You know, it's going to be color and who do you talk to? Who, how, how do you even go about doing that?
1: You know, that's really interesting. And, and what I had as a, as basically a benefit was the fact that my father and his two brothers, my uncles, mm-hmm. all either worked in restaurants, managed restaurants or owned restaurants, hmm. okay? And so I grew up in there. I mean, the first thing I did was learn how to bust tables, wash dishes, okay? Um, and w- just by hanging around in there, you watched how business worked. You know, the the, the uh, bread was delivered fresh in the morning, the, the lettuce and the other stuff had to come in fresh. You, you made the sandwiches, you laid out everything, you got the, the food prepared, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the bottom line is that's all business. That's logistics of business, and so that gave me a, a, a education outside of school that, you know, they're not going to teach you how, even in college, they don't necessarily teach you how to run a business. Sure. You can unlearn about business. And so what I did was I, I watched my dad and I talked to him about, you know, how he found his suppliers, for example. And what that did is it, it told me, okay, I need a printer. You know, I need a box maker. I need a die cut company. All these things were usually separate, unlike today, which are incredibly um, more uh, available to people. Yes. You know, the technology
0: is much has gotten cheaper, like everything. And so, yeah.
1: So I had to go in and I literally had to learn, Okay, how do you put color in a magazine? How many pages should it be? What's a form? How, you know, these, all these things that you had to learn. And I, I sat down and listened to the printers and the box makers and the die cutters. And, and I said, this is what I want to do. And I showed them like SPI samples. And I said, but, but what could you do that's going to be more efficient, more affordable? Right. And so when I found out that you mean I don't have to have half half inch little tiny counters? I could literally have one-inch square counters, and then eventually, I don't know if you remember this, but Rand Corp. Rand, not the Rand Corporation, as in you know Vietnam, but the company that was producing games did plug-cut, rounded-corner die-cut counters. Do you remember those? No, I don't. Okay, they weren't square-cut, right? Yeah. They were plug-cut, as in each counter had its own punch out.
0: Yeah, like you, like you uh, like if somebody had clipped the corners. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, they didn't butt yeah. up against
1: another counter. Right. They right. just sat in there mm-hmm. with each other. Interesting. And it was they were really nice. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I said, you know what, we're going to do. We're going to do the best quality that we can produce within reason. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we went out, and I'm I'm proud to say that you know we did Dunkirk 1940, which was yep. my first. That was your game. first game. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, we did uh conflict magazine with color, and yes, it was more expensive. And the reason it died is not because any of that stuff people said, Oh, this is awful. I'm not interested, you guys are so inferior to SBI. <laughs> the problem is it was expensive, okay? Yeah. And it's okay if you get enough people to buy it. Right. But the problem is, although I had learned about production, I had learned about basically creating the the products. I had not learned enough about marketing and advertising, okay? Interesting. And so so yeah. that without that it's like what a what a what a shock, you know? Yeah. Let's see. The greatest greatest product in the world isn't going anywhere if nobody knows about it and that's what basically ultimately killed us.
0: Huh. So so the uh did did uh, did um did Jack Green work with you at SDC initially? Jack Green came. This is this is a great story. OK. Um, I love great stories. OK. One of
1: the things that we, we it was not like we didn't get any magazines out there at all. OK. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, SPI at the time, I think S&T was in the 20, 30,000, maybe more than that circulation. So we were doing one, two, three thousand magazine and it went to the hardcore guys out there. Well, Jack was one of those hardcore guys. And he looked at this and un unbeknownst to me, OK, I mean, remember, there's no email. People just had to write you letters, mm-hmm. right? So of course, the fastest thing was him with for him was to literally walk up to my door, knock on the door and say, hi, I'm one of your subscribers. I want to write for you. <laughs> OK, okay? So that's how I met Jock Green. Yeah. OK, so um he ended up becoming a reviewer, a play tester, ended up doing his own company, uh, being a designer. Yeah. We both loved military history. Jack is uh, one of my oldest, dearest friends. Yeah. Very creative guy. I just like talking with him just because he has an interesting viewpoint on history, game design. Sure. Um, and that's how I ended up with him. John Hill is another one of my dearest and oldest friends, sadly no longer the with late us. John
0: Hill, yeah, sadly, yes.
1: Yep. Uh, and what happened was – remember I told you about Model Retailer? Mm-hmm. And I went out to all these hobby shops. John had a hobby shop in Indiana called The Scale, The Scale Hobby Shop. And he introduced, what a surprise, games in his hobby shop, right? And he and I, I knew of him because of Squad Leader and also because when I did Conflict Magazine, John said – he wanted to design some games for my magazine because I don't have like a cookie-cutter approach. It's like each game was different and unique. Um, I'm bragging a little bit here, but the bottom line is that's also expensive. You know, if you do a production line type assembly and you've got to get out games every month or every two months, you have to be able to produce them. And we we had handcrafted – okay, we're like the Rolls-Royce, mm-hmm. okay, and SPI was the Ford, Yeah. okay? Wow.
2: All right. Yeah, More, I get it. Well, it's five, it's
0: because, yeah, you'd have I mean, that, that's been but that's been the, the case with magazine games since the beginning. Right. You either decide you're going to be timely or you're going to wait. And if a game isn't up to snuff, then you either tweak it or don't publish it. But that's going to kill your okay. production schedule. Right. Yep. I mean it just and yep. that's
1: absolutely what happened anyway. So John was so impressed with the fact that that's the way I did it. This is before Model Retailer. But I knew John before that, because when I was publishing Conflict Magazine, John contacted me the old fashioned way, he wrote letters. I mean, this is like, <laughs> we're sitting here doing video on the internet, yeah, right? right? And back then, the only way to communicate other than a telephone, which was really expensive, was by letter. So John contacted me and said, Hey, I would like to design some games for you. Uh, I'm working on some stuff for Avalon Hill. Uh, would you be interested? And I said, Oh, yeah, of course, immediately. And we published his, um, uh, Battle for Huey which was a Vietnam War game about the siege of Hue City. Um, And then we did Jerusalem, okay, very innovative, where you could literally continue to move and attack as long as you never got defeated by the defender uh, and you still had movement points left, okay?
0: Yeah, I have both of those, yeah. They were really good games.
1: Very garish (laughs) artwork. (laughs) I was experimenting. This is when I was trying to learn how to be a graphic artist, okay? So uh-huh. some of the stuff was like, really, that color is like, well, that didn't work, you know, uh-huh. but they were great. I, I became good friends with John long distance by the phone and, and letter. And then I moved to back to Northern Virginia and worked on model retailer and stayed in touch with John. And then serendipity, John's wonderful model hobby business was flooded, destroyed. He lost everything. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. so he was shut down. And I was talking with him on the phone, and he was like – it wasn't that he, was, he took it in stride, right? Mm-hmm. But he, I don't know what I'm going to do now. I immediately ran into my boss's office and said, here's a guy who ran a hobby shop, who understands model railroading. John is not just a war game designer. He was a model railroad, basically uh, a builder of, uh, of scenarios and scenes, Okay. And so with his knowledge of that and the fact that he sold stuff, my boss immediately called him back and said, we want to hire you. John moved to Northern Virginia. And he and I, John and I, ended up working together on so many things for the for years after that uh, and stayed in touch, obviously, until his, his death. Uh, so – it, that's the kind of thing that when people say, well, how did you do this? It's like, it's not because I thought about it. You know, it's not like I went out there and deliberately did things. Jack Green showed up at my door. John Hill wrote me a letter. You know, we ended up working together because the rains washed out and destroyed his business. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So none of this was planned. I mean, right. none of this was planned, but it ended up being tremendously good. At least I feel that way because. You know, yes, I lost my business. Yes, some things didn't work out, but you know what? Overall, I have to say, I have been so incredibly fortunate to be able to work like with people like this and to be in a hobby I love. I get every day I get up, I love this. Okay, yeah, it's not it. like, oh my god, I gotta go to work. I can't stand the people, I can't stand what I'm doing. I'm counting yeah. widgets or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah.
0: I get so, yeah, yeah well, I just
1: Everyone to
0: know that. Uh, well, I mean, your your enthusiasm is is clearly, uh, I mean, it comes right through the video and right through the audio. But uh, um, did John did John uh, have any? He, I, I just, I feel like John Hill was he just getting published by SDC or did he have some ownership interest or did you guys like were you ever business partners with him?
1: This is where it gets a little bit um, shadowy. Okay. Okay. John started. Okay. This is before anyone did things like checking on trademarks and copyrights, okay? So I had Conflict magazine, all right? And then John had started Conflict Games in Indiana as part of his little, you know, he had his, he had his hobby shop and they did that. So this is this is where this proves that neither one of us really understood business at a higher level. So we decided, hey, since we both use the same name, why don't we use the same logo and same typeface for our conflict, right? Like no one will be confused
2: about that. <laughs> right.
1: So that that is why we ended up getting together. But one of the things that you don't see that isn't as obvious is when I was working on Streets of Stalingrad and I, I knew of John and I saw what he had done and he'd done Battle for Hue, which was also a street fighting game. I said, you know what? I'm going to use his game system. Give him full credit for. It. Why reinvent the wheel? He's already got a great combat system that'll work for my Streets of Stalingrad. Yeah,
0: the and defensive said, fire, especially. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And I asked him. I said, "John, you don't mind, do you?" And he says, "No, as long as you give me credit, I don't care." Yeah, you know. Uh-huh. So this is like the loosey goosey days of uh, you know early days of publishing war games. Today, my God, whose trademark is that? Where's the copyright? Are you sure, you know, you don't have like a patent coming up on the, on, it's like, you cannot operate like we did back in the Wild West days of early wargaming.
0: Well, it sounds like it, but it, but it uh, certainly fostered a good friendship, which it just sounds amazing. Um, Tell me about, so, so we were talking about the, the detergent box games, um, the, uh, SBI games that you guys were trying to emulate. And that was the, so, uh, game designers workshop, uh, they came out with drawing Austin, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the time where it's like, okay, we're going to start making these games that are bigger and bigger and, um, less and less playable, uh, just because it takes long to set them up and, and, and stuff. But, um, but you decided that you were going to compete with them in the monster game, uh, Sort of category with Streets of Stalingrad, and so I want I want you to walk me through this because um, I have I have such vivid memories of this game, uh, the first edition and actually the second edition, of the Nova Game Designs. But we'll we'll get to that. So 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 tell me, you had this plan, and it's going to be we're going to do Stalingrad on this larger scale, but we're going to make it playable, uh, and it should take you know few weeks to, you know, get this together and that together and we'll make up and we got a timeline and it sounds great. And then what happened?
2: Okay.
1: So Streets of Stalingrad, like I said, ended up killing SDC, Mm -hmm. not intentionally. Okay. But when we sat down and figured out that, you know, well, here's our market research, SPI is doing it. So we need to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's our market research. So we decided we're going to do these detergent box games. And we're going to start with Streets of Stalingrad. Why? Because Stalingrad is, you know, other than Kursk, is probably the most famous battle of the Eastern Front, and everyone seems to be more interested, at least at the time, and maybe even today, with the Eastern Front of World War II. You know, it's titanic on every level right. you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Stalingrad was just, you know, I mean, if people don't know anything else, literally, you know, Waterloo, ABBA things Waterloo, right? But, but Stalingrad... You could literally say that to people today, and they'll say, that was a, that was a battle, wasn't it? Right, you know, they right. did not know the war. But sure. um, anyway, so we decided, yeah, we got a winner here. And and ultimately we did, but because it took so long to do research, and this is where I really – remember I said conflict was very different in our approach. So we weren't going to read a couple of popular histories and throw together the order of battle, which may or may not be accurate. Okay. what we were going to do is we were going to actually get the microfilm from the National Archives of the German war diaries that had been photographed after World War II. Amazingly, and and the reason the U.S. Army was interested in this is anything that the U.S. uh, Army wanted at the time dealt with the Russians and how they fought. Right. In the fifties and sixties, right in the seventies. Yeah,
0: that's what they, they wanted. The that's why a lot of uh, ex-Wehrmacht officers sort of got off for various. That's the whole why the denazification uh, in that's in West right. Germany came to a halt. I mean, it was all Cold yep. War. It was like, well, these guys fought the Russians up front. You know, yep. personal. They know the deal. Let's get their expertise on uh, on fighting the sovs.
1: Yes, and one of the things they did was copy all these war diaries from the Germans. That, I mean, they grabbed all this stuff out of uh, the German captured archives, brought it over to the United States, and over years, decades, photographed them onto microfilm, okay? So that meant that the Army level, 6th Army, 51st Army Corps, which was in Stalingrad, and most of the divisions that were there, okay, all had their war diaries. We could just sit there and go through it, you know, sitting at the machine, turning the pages. And a very good friend of mine, David Parham a former military guy himself uh, translated, going through all of these records and basically translated them in English so that we would have after action reports on what actually happened. We had the maps, not just the maps by aerial photography, but tactical maps of how, you know, they assaulted a position, how the reconnaissance reports before that. It was incredible stuff. The problem is, it took years <laughs> to, to research it, write it down, yep. translate it, and then interpret it. We didn't – remember how that big mistake I made about not getting into a production cycle? OK? You you can't take three years to do a monster game, OK? You just, you just can't, not unless you've got
0: uh, – Well, something of- else is paying for it. Well, exactly. Right, You've got, to, you, got to, you got something in the pipeline where you're generating revenue that yep. is going to fund this next thing. That, but yeah, but you, I guess you didn't have that.
1: What David was uh, um, basically a retired uh, army officer who had been um, uh, retired because he was injured. Okay, so he was on disability. Uh, And he couldn't do stuff, so he had plenty of time to do the research. Another good friend who was a uh, current, at the time, Marine in the Reserve, um, went to work every day in a real job, and that helped bring in some uh, money, because we had like our little military history commune, okay, of guys that after college were like, we love this stuff, we're going to produce games and books and whatever. So... That sustained us, but we, if we'd had two or three more people, we could have finished the research for Stalingrad sooner. We didn't. And we also didn't have enough money to sustain us. So what happened was eventually, before the game could be produced, we had one last little burst of hope we can make this happen. We went to 1976 Origins on, uh, um, what was it? Long, uh, not Long Island. It was on, um, Oh, my gosh. I can't think right off the top of my head. It's so – Staten Island. Staten Island was when it was there. Uh, SPI hosted it, okay? Or was that 77? I think it was 77. Yeah, that was our last uh, – I think it was our last – yeah, 76 was Baltimore. 77 was uh, SPI in Staten Island. And that's what the the pictures you see with Jack and me, you know, standing there showing off the game on the back wall in front of us. Um, at the time, it was called Kesselschlacht. And then we, then we figured out – oh, wait a minute. It, we're not going to deal with the surrounding and slow, uh, you know, starvation of the six. That's boring. So we're just going to do, you know, the battle for the city itself. And that's when I said, "Well, let's just call it Streets of Stalingrad." You know, that's it. Um, I had, little did I know that in years, literally the rest of my life, people would say, "Oh, you did Streets of Stalingrad." You know, it's like, wow. Could be worse just, things. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's just the idea that. I, came up with this because we needed something to put out right away. It's yeah. like, let's use this as the title. Sure. Anyway, so um, because we weren't having money coming in, and even with this the, the game being shown off at the convention, um, obviously we, there was no P500 back then. There were no pre-orders. I couldn't take money from people. Thank God. And uh, basically that was it. And we stood there, and I, I realized we're not going anywhere. This game is not going to we can't produce it. We cannot publish it. We have no money. We can't eat. Literally, we can't pay the rent. And so I basically told the people who were supporting us. Sorry, we have to end this. And um, I submitted an article to Model Retailer about how games should be in, um, you know, hobby shops. I took pictures. I interviewed. uh, I should back up and just say one of the reasons I could do that is both in high school and in college. I had taken journalism. So I knew how to interview people. I knew how to take pictures. Uh, In fact, I was on the um, high school uh, yearbook staff, you know, taking photographs. Uh, So basically, I had a journalism background and I was able to write these articles. Uh, I also could present to model retailer, hey, I am a journalist. And even though most people know me as a game designer, uh, a book editor, you know, a publisher, I've been working in journalism, not newspaper journalism, right? But but magazine um, and internet journalism journalism for for decades, and so that's how I got the job with Model Retailer, and that's why SDC went away.
0: I see. Okay. So now, <clears throat> so you've got this, you've got this game, you, and it's taken years to make, and you have, uh all this research that, I mean, you basically, you put the research into the game that, you know, like some, I mean, a historian could have told you right up front that, hey, when I write a book, I don't just go do some research and then write it. It takes years of, you know, I go to the archives, I take notes, I take, you know, I do all this stuff. I make a whole catalog of all the things. And then I start, you know, putting the story together. You know, that's why authors take advances, right? Because it's, you've got to, Feed yourself and your family while you write the book. So. Uh, so, so you basically found out what it was like to uh, to basically publish a uh, or, or to research a uh, historian level look at the Battle of Stalingrad, but had no. Way of actually producing it. By the way, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt this and just go back. One, you said SDC was was going under. Was there ever a point where I think at at one point Jack Green didn't he just like didn't, well, didn't the printer have stuff that you guys couldn't pay and so he just like had to, he's like okay I'm gonna just write him a check and we're going to get this stuff. Done. Yes. did that happen? Yeah.
1: Yes, Jack did that. Yeah. I mean Jack be, and I had to pay him back in paper. Okay, <laughs> yeah, right. I never had the money to pay him back on that, but uh, I paid him back. He had games that he was producing under Quarterdeck. Yes, I remember money. quarter deck. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think I did the artwork for his Norway game, mm-hmm. uh, destroyer captain yep. and a couple other games mm-hmm. where I did like either the counter art or the uh, game map art, mm-hmm. you know, basically barter, you yeah, know, sure. It's like, I don't have money. He doesn't yeah, have the money. Yeah. Okay, Jack, I'll do the art for you. Um, yes, but that, is, that is a true story. And, and Jack basically helped keep us on life support by reaching in his pocket and
0: writing the check you know, and keeping us going. Yeah. Okay. So, but, but now at the, this point, you're not going and you're just, SDC is, is pretty much done and you have all this stuff. I don't know what, what degree of, of, of having stuff do you have? You obviously have all the research. Do you have counters? Do you have a map? Do you, I mean, you obviously had the map that you displayed at, at Origins. What, what level of like, how close are you to being able to actually publish this thing? Because obviously it gets published. So that's part of the, the next part of the story.
1: Yes. basically, we had playtest copy.
0: Mm-hmm. A playtest copy. Okay. Not
1: multiple. <laughs> you could mm-hmm. not produce a lot of these. Yeah. And I also had um, a typed up my typed up not computer. I yeah. t- literally had typed
0: Manual up typewriter.
1: Manual typewriter of the rules. Okay. And so it had been under development, and Jack had been part of that development right and And John Hill was aware of it, and other people and so I bagged up that whole thing, put it in boxes, and when I moved from San Diego to work in Northern Virginia for model retailer, I had it with me okay and i and it could have just disappeared it could have you know I could have gotten busy, done other things I had gotten married I had a uh, uh my daughter was born when we moved back to Northern Virginia, which, by the way, is Manassas, Virginia. Oh, okay. OK. <laughs> you can imagine what John Hill and I were doing every weekend. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm, of I course. Mean, there's the entire civil war in yeah, Northern Virginia, yeah. uh-huh. everywhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We we're going nuts. We were just uh-huh. we just loved it. Anyway, so I had that game in storage. Yeah. And I'm working on stuff. And you remember how I told you Jack showed up at my door. John just wrote me a letter. Well, here's what happened. Dan Bress, uh, who was with Phoenix Games up in Maryland, which wasn't that far, basically had been talking to me as a publisher because I was in touch with every game publisher out there, whether it's role playing, board game, whatever, miniatures. Um, and he asked me, he said, didn't you, what, what did you ever do with that streets of Stalingrad? Right. And I said, Oh, I don't know. I was just sitting back here. And he says, I'll publish it. I will publish this game, but you just have to get the art prepared, okay? Mm, okay. The game art. The okay? game art, yeah. The box, blah, blah, blah. Sure. Um, and I, I said, okay, how hard could this be? <laughs> <laughs> this way, you know, we learn through mistakes, honestly, and I am living proof of that, okay? So, but I always tell people. Why why did I do this? It's because number one, I'm a genius and I figured out how to contact Jack Green and John yeah. Hill and Dan Press. You know, it's like, I figured this out. It's like, yeah. no, they just showed up. Yeah. You know? And and how did I learn how to do a game? It's like, well, I've always known how to do a game. I never made mistakes. It's like if anyone else tells you that, they they're just wrong and don't listen to them. Anyway, so you're asking me how where, how did it happen? Okay. Yeah. It then Strain my marriage to sit there literally every day after I work my full-time job, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And all I did was do the artwork and finish the artwork for basically eight major scenarios, 2,000 counters, okay? Um, the game map, which was in three giant pieces – Etc. you can imagine. And you just, you waved a few of the things, yeah. you know, earlier. Right. Yeah. And how are so, you
0: doing? I mean, what are you, what are you using? Like, how are you making counters in this, at this time? Like what, what's, what, what's involved in making the, the art for for counters in, in 1979 or whatever?
1: Okay. So what you would do is, uh, it, when you laid out a magazine or a newspaper or anything like that, you would use either uh, rubber cement or waxing. This was the big deal. Ooh, wax, waxing, right? So you ran the galleys, which is where they typed up, you know, the text in columns or whatever it was going to be for a newspaper or for a magazine. Sure. And so it would be typed on IBM Selectric. Remember? I don't know yeah, if you I, know- I do.
0: Oh, I used, used IBM Selectrics when I was, okay. uh, yeah, when I had like uh, office job in high school. Yeah.
1: There you go. So, you know, little balls, you, change, yep. you have to change it. Italics, yes. bold, uh-huh.
0: whatever. Yep.
1: Okay. You're doing that and it has, it's basically this, Early, early computer idea that the compu- the text has been typed up and then transferred to the IBM Selectric in a way that it can then type these into columns. So it stop when you need to switch it to italics or back again and just keep running out. Now you got these sheets on basically a clay paper, okay? Huh, okay. Coated stock, okay? Uh, not just plain paper. Yep. And then you would take that and run it through a wax machine. Or rubber cement. I I thought the wax was much better because you could pick it up easily and re, reposition it. All you do was heat it up. So you would lay that out. That also meant that if you're going to do layout of counters, I had to get the die pattern. But then I had to literally cut
2: With scissors all
1: the numbers and and the and I also designed the uh, the German and Soviet tactical symbols. I got them out of actual World War mm-hmm. II books. That. Yeah. You know, this is our army. This is what a machine gun is. And I tank and so forth. You had and to I... hand cut those? That's insane. <laughs> yes. Why do you think it took so long? <laughs> you know, if I could have just made these things in the thousands, I would have done so. But the bottom line is that it, it was expensive, slow. And it's like, hmm, I'm, I'm cutting, you know, watching TV and cutting out any aircraft symbols and tanks and things like that, uh, pasting them down on the artwork, delivering them to Dan Bress and Phoenix Games, right? And hand doing the map so that the overlays, and this is how you got for color. Let's say you needed green for the forest. So I would get this thing called Ruby Lith, which is like a, it was like a red sheet that could be peeled off. You could cut it and peel away part of it. And what would be left would be the portion that the camera would see is where the color goes. So... If you had forest, you would end up with this map and this ruby laying on top of it. I would cut out everything that's not needed except for where the green appears, and I would mark that. And then that would go to the printer who would then shoot that, and he would know this is where we print the green on the map.
2: Hmm.
1: So if we're four colors, guess what? You need four sheets of ruby list, Okay. And that's how the map was made. That's how the counters were made. And then, you know, the rule book, fortunately, were you know that was just one color. But that's what we did by mapping the galleys, the wax machine, and laying it out. All of this took today. For example, you know, the the you mentioned my uh, my card game mm-hmm. that we
0: well today. yeah we'll get to that. But yeah, you're having you have a Kickstarter now uh, that's all finished. That, it's yeah a card game. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, the card game is all done on the computer. Bang! Oh, I don't like that. You just do a few tweaks and you, you change it. Yep. Well, that Those changes back in the 70s would have taken hours, maybe days or even weeks, depending on what they were. So that's another reason why it took so long for Streets of Stalingrad First Edition to come out, and that did come out from Phoenix Games. Yeah. In 1979, it was finally released, uh, and it won an award as it I did. think it was the um, best game by a new company. Yes. Uh, in 1979.
0: Charles S. Roberts Award for best, yeah, best. Yeah, I best think I come. got
1: that in eighty and ninety. Uh,
0: excuse me, in 80. eighty. It was an, an eighty for the seventy. The game came out in seventy-nine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're right, the awards yeah. of the following year. Yeah, yep. yeah. Because I remember that, when. Yeah, that that was there was there was an issue of uh, I think it was fire and movement. I think Fred Helfer might have been the I can't remember who it might have been. Fred Helfer at the time. Uh, there was a, there was a. Um, uh it was you and it was john hill and john had had designed a game called battle for stalingrad completely different scale uh much smaller map and it that was published by sbi yes and uh i remember looking at the you know because they had it was that issue fire movement had an interview with you it had an interview with john talked about both i think the reviews of both games And I must have been, I don't know, 13 years old or so. Uh, And uh, I looked at the, I got that issue and I was like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. And then I looked at, you know, I was like, oh, I, you know, I want to play, I want to play Streets of Stalker. This is the game I want. I really want this game. And I looked at it and and I think there was even an ad for, by Phoenix that you could mail order from them. Uh, Because of course my local hobby shop didn't have anything that obscure and, uh, and it was, I can't remember how, how much it was, but it was some, it was some to me at that point, like unbelievably large amount of money. Like I remember, I think I had a, this is not about me, but I just, I want to give you this little story because this is how sort of unobtainable it seemed that I had a paper out that paid me $4 a week. And so every, uh, every three weeks I could buy an Avalon Hill flat box because those cost twelve dollars at the hobby store. But if I waited an extra week, I could get sixteen dollars and buy a bookcase game. And that was that was sort of my whole uh, that was my life. Like how how close am I to buying the next game on my four dollar a week uh, paper route? But I, I can't remember how much. I honestly don't remember to this day how much Streets of Stalingrad sold for at the time. But it was some amount that I just felt I would never have. I could just that yeah. nobody nobody in the world has that amount of money to, to a thirteen year old, and so I'll never be able to play Streets of Stalingrad. And it was just crushing.
1: I'm, I'm sorry
0: to hear that. <laughs> well, well, I think but – the, but, the, but the punchline to this, yeah. I think, is that it actually was underpriced, wasn't it? And that's what killed Phoenix.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, the game has already killed SDC, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Now it's going to kill – Is it's cursed. The game – this is official. Streets of Stalingrad is cursed, OK? The monster game. Anyway, the bottom line is that Phoenix, when they did it, decided, how are we going to compete? And they told me this. They said – you know we have to make we're a small company and we're up against these giants you know at game designers workshop SPI. we we have to have something what's our edge we're going to underprice them okay at the time i'm thinking you know this just doesn't sound this does not sound like a good idea yeah, okay yeah, yeah. and guess what They really underpriced it badly. I think it was $45. Yes, that sounds right. It should have been $70, okay? Mm -hmm. And as a result, they got money in, but it wasn't enough. Yeah. It it wasn't. That was it. Yeah. Done. So – I have, a, I have a plaque from Origin saying "Best Game." It's dead. Yeah. The company's dead. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah. lucky if anyone's ever going to see this again. And it's right. like, wow, <laughs>
0: wow, my gosh. Yeah. So. And there were only like a thousand. I think there were only a thousand copies of that, or something like that. I think that that's was the right. rumor that that. I mean, there really weren't many, and it immediately became uh, this this sort of holy grail of collectors. Like, you know, find a find a copy yep. of of the first edition Streets of Stalingrad.
1: Yep. Exactly. And it was. It was an aftermarket game, which, by the way, does not help no, either the company that published it for the designer. Aftermarket's <laughs> right. wonderful. I love the collectors. I yeah. love my fellow game war gamers. Yeah. But guys, it's like I'll be on the street with a cup, right. you know, asking for, you know, got any spare change right. because this is not the way to make money
0: is yeah. by being on the aftermarket. And your aftermarket game's going for 500 bucks a shot for you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, Someone's making money. Yeah. <laughs> right. So. So. But that wasn't the end of the story is even close right. to the end of the story, because I think at that point. Um, it ended up, so that was 79. So 80, you got the award. And then I can't, I want to say it was 81 or 82. I used to play this game called Ace of Aces, which was, a, um, oh, yeah. uh, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast are, are, are going to definitely remember where you open a book and it shows you off an airplane and you would, make a maneuver and then turn to a different part of the book and you, the other player would have his own book. Right. And so it would, or it would just be a, uh, it, was, it was very innovative, innovative, um, innovative system. Uh, but it, uh, it was published by a game called Nova game designs. And then all of a sudden Nova game designs had half of streets of Stalingrad on the shelf as a boxed game. How did that happen?
1: So remember I tell you, people keep calling me, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So The guys at Nova, I know, I I mean, all of them brilliant guys. Uh, And that game, Ace of Aces, was video games were just starting to come in. And so they had the pre-video game, pre-computer game, computer game that you play with a book. okay? And like you said, you yeah, the book that you hold in your hands shows you your enemy. That's what you're looking at. And then they are choosing at the bottom a maneuver. And then both of you turn to. A page, and now it shows you a new view. You could be past them, behind them, whatever. So brilliant game, and they wanted to get into board games. They thought, you know, we're making it. People, they won an award deservedly. So Yeah, they did, just great. It has series. I don't know if other people realize that that launched an entire series of uh, of games that are same kind of uh, book. Uh, pick uh, not pick your own adventure, but rather the um, Flying Buffalo published them. It's went out of my head. Just went out of my head. Um, what, what they do, but basically it's, uh, you know, you, you're, you're a, a troll and I'm a magic user yeah. and we do the same thing yep, with our, yep,
0: yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Right. Yep. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. Vaguely. Okay.
1: So they called up and they said, you know, we don't want to get pigeonholed into, you know, doing fantasy only or doing just this air game stuff. Right. So are you, you know, are, is your game available? And I said, yeah, but we already published it once. Why would you want that? He said, no, no, we know that people only, the market is not going to handle giant games anymore it's already moving away from that what we want to do is we want to cut your game in half and publish it as a regular size board game okay so one was going to be uh fire on the volga and the other one was battle for the factories yep. literally slicing the map so- down southern to the- and
0: northern uh yep. basically parts of the battle yeah
1: yep and so they came out with this right
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and th- it didn't have the color didn't have the quality to ha- counters. You know, it was they were smaller.
2: Like,
1: yes, they were. Everything was like, it was sort of like Streets and Style, grad, grad goes light. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't work.
0: Yeah. Okay. Oh, it didn't work in what sense? They, they, they
1: split up it, I think. Let's just say as a business, it didn't work. Uh-huh. Okay. So as a business item, it just, it, it nearly sank Nova. Okay. Really? It did not kill them. All right. But, at this point now, I'm gradually working my way to Ace. I killed SDC. Yeah. you know, I killed Phoenix and I have a probable on no <laughs> <Right. laughs> This is like this. Is like, now I'm starting to get worried. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, stay away from yeah. this game. Yeah. Anyway, at business wise. And the, and that's why the Nova thing came out. And there was supposed to be a connecting piece. You know, if they were successful, then there would be a connector. So you could join them and, and get back to the giant full game. OK, but it just it didn't have the magic of the of the original um, even. The, and it wasn't called Streets of Stalingrad. And so it just sort of came and went very quickly. Uh, and they just said it. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, I, I have you ever heard the joke about uh, meeting the elephant? Which way? This is a pre-Civil War joke, Uh okay? And a farmer wants very badly to go into town miles and miles away, takes his horse and his buggy, and he's going in to see the elephant because a circus is there. He's never seen an elephant, right? And so he goes down the road. And the train derails right where he is, and the animals charge off But They're not killed. They just, you know, are all coming off of their They're getting loose, and an elephant gets loose, tramples him, tramples his horse, tramples the buggy, right? Nearly kills him, and he walks home. He's like almost dead. He walks home, and and his neighbor says, well, did you see the elephant? And he says, yeah, and I hope I never see another
0: one. Okay. <laughs>
2: right.
1: And then during the Civil War, that's what the guys who said said they were in combat.
0: Uh-huh. Did you see the elephant? Interesting. Okay.
1: Okay. Anyway, mm-hmm. that's a, sorry about that. Sorry yeah. No, I
0: that's great because that's so you don't ever want to see this elephant again.
1: Yeah. No, you don't. Anyway, so that that's
0: which that's, is Streets of Stalingrad.
1: That's Nova. It was <laughs> like I never want to see Streets of Stalingrad again. No, right. thank you. Right. Right. I've seen it. Anyway, so that was it, and I thought at the time it'll never happen again. I mean. You know, the the hobby moved on, I move on to other things, and all of a sudden, I get a phone call, again, from a guy named Art Lupinacci in Canada, who had been uh, just, I I don't want to say this in a negative way, Uh, I'm a fan of certain games, and a fan of certain, um, you know, um, designers, okay, and authors and so forth, so I am a fanboy, I am a fanboy, okay, and I, I want people to realize I'm not being negative here, right. but he was a fanboy of Streets of Stalingrad. Yeah,
2: sure. That's
0: right? fine. There's nothing negative about that. I'm certainly a fanboy. That, that's one of the things that, that he was really, really, really excited about was Streets of Stalingrad.
1: Absolutely. And he said, what would it take to do a new third edition? You know? And I said, well, why would you want to do it? <laughs> <laughs> you know? and And he explained, he says, look. I think that you guys had a great game, but it's very dated, okay? Mm-hmm. When he called me, it was like, I think, 1998,
0: 1999.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, the game came out. What was it? Like, I have it right here. It's like 2002 or two thousand. It was
0: 2002. Oh, I remember that.
1: So, yeah, it was around, two, around the turn of the century that he called me, and we took two years to basically upgrade. He thought, number one, that upgrading it graphically was going to be really, really important, mm-hmm. and he was he was yep. correct. Correct. And he and I, literally, he lived in Toronto. I lived in uh, Northern California. He would come out here and we'd sit down, get our desks and, and do graphics and keep getting into uh, everything tweaking. Uh, then I'd go up to Toronto and spend time with him and do the same thing. His vision, though, he says, look, if I'm going to be part of this, my vision is that this has got to be a more, not realistic, but a more detailed game. Mm. Okay?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it went from john hill's simple battle for way combat system so you could literally play a complete turn in like you know maybe an hour okay to the third edition that art wanted to have and the steps that were required to go through one turn
0: yeah you got 15 phases i recall
1: yep and and it was it, it really stretched the time it just this game was, it was took longer to play my game than it did to take, fight the battle. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's, that's it, not, not really, but you know, it's yeah. like, close enough. Sure. Um, and so we sold it because art knew marketing and advertising. And so we resold it. We got it out there. People loved it. We, this is my second award on the game because it, you know, for graphics. Okay. Um, and, and very proud of it. But honest to God, it's just, it's just, it's too complex. Okay. And I really want people to play my games. And it was not going to be that fun streets of Stalingrad I started with. It was going to be, and that doesn't mean that there aren't people
0: that won't play it. They mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. I see it at Consimworld. Yeah. I see it at MonsterCon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, you know, you know who you sound like? What? Kevin Zucker. Really? Yeah. You know why? Because you just said that you want people to play your games. I had a, uh, something happened. I can't remember. It was, uh, probably back 10 years ago or so. And there was a game that I bought from him and it, and it showed up and it was the the post office had, you know, somebody ro- pulled a, you know, some forklift over it. Right. So it was smashed and, and I got it and it was destroyed. And I, and I wrote to Kevin, I said, Hey, Kevin, uh, I got your whatever Napoleonic game it was. Uh, but it's, uh, it's destroyed by the post office. Is there any way I can, you know, get a reduced price on another copier? And he's like, of course not, you can't get a reduced price. I'm just going to send you another one. Obviously it was very nice. I mean, that's what you should do, but I didn't want to be pushing, but any, any case, uh, I got it from him and I said, uh, Hey Kevin, thanks a lot. I got the copy in the mail. Uh, we plan to, uh, put it on the table and play it next week. And he wrote back and he says, Bruce, uh, thank you for actually playing my game that's the best thing a designer can hear because you know i'm 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 assuming that there's some number of people who buy his games and and put it on the shelf you know it's nice you know and it's fine they're collectors right they collect it and they put it on the shelf and that's the game sitting on the shelf and they're never going to play it they may read the rules but but it just has to be pristine but he was very uh he was he seemed very affected by the fact that yes his game was actually going to get played and that's what i heard from you when you said that
1: you know what's interesting guess who my first editor on conflict was who? Kevin Zuck. <laughs> are you serious? Okay. Kevin and I had been in correspondence also when I was starting out in California and doing things. He came down, moved to San Diego, and we worked together on the first issues of Conflict Magazine. Okay. He then took mm-hmm. a job with SPI. Remember, things are not going well financially for us. Yeah. So Kevin eventually got a job with at SPI. SPI yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and then the Adlon Hill, I think. Yes, and Avalon Hill. He eventually went off his own way with, in the operational industry.
0: studies group. Yeah, he, which he's yep. still doing now. Yeah,
1: absolutely, absolutely, very talented guy. Yeah, uh, totally. good historian. You know, chose a different area than I have chosen to work in. Uh, but I still remember him fondly from those days. And and yes, we, that's one of the things we shared. I have to tell you the the thing, the biggest disappointment to me on the third edition of Streets of Stalin is not that it doesn't look good. It looks gorgeous. What art did was was really, really beautiful on not only his share of the artwork, but also in terms of the marketing and advertising. Okay. The heartbreak I feel is that when I see people struggling at Constant World to play a game with like fifteen phases per turn,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it's like it's just, oh man, you know, I just wish that they had more fun doing
2: this.
0: Yeah. Well okay? they might be having fun because I mean I don't think they I mean Uh, it's people still pull it out and there are people that, that, and, and, and to be honest with you, uh, I have a copy that I'm currently punching. Uh, and, uh, I, I'm one of these people, you know, how, how, uh, you know, the certain generation, they, uh. They grew up and they could never afford a, a Camaro or something. And so they, they ended up, you know, the first thing they do when they get a job in order to they buy themselves a Camaro. Well, one of the first things I, not one of the first things, but but at some point along the line, one of the first things I did was get a, a copy of, uh, of the first edition Streets of Stalingrad and, uh, I think actually they have multiple copies because I found a, I found a, uh, one at used, it was sitting in a used, uh, they didn't know what, what it was worth. They had like a 50 buck price on it. I was like, ah, I'm going to grab that thing. So <laughs> I have an extra copy of Street Songbird, but, uh, um, uh, I have a copy of the third edition and a friend of mine and I are, uh, I have a, a, nice, uh, big place to set it up and we're just gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go through it and play it because, uh, this is something I I've wanted to do, but, but there's, there's a, uh, there's a definite difference between the first edition and the third edition in terms of, in terms of play style, play, play complexity, isn't there?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's not that I am um, so disappointed with the third versus the first that I, I just don't like it. That's not the case at all. It's just that I really think that um, I got carried away. I mean, the reason that Art got involved was because he wanted to be part of the new Stalingrad. Yeah, of course. And it is. It's sure. different. It's new. And it has its own fan base. It absolutely has its own yeah, it fan does.
0: base. It absolutely
1: does. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. It's just that I, over the years, I've actually been moving back towards more of an Africa core, Avalon Hill type design, you know, to me, is successful, again, because you have a better chance to have more people play yes. that game than you do, you know, um, Dragonknock sure. Austin, yeah. okay? so. That it's just it's just a difference in uh, I guess taste yeah. you know in terms
0: of what kind of games you like I think you so, evolve over time right I mean when you're when you're younger you have this sort of is it, uh, infinite imagination you want to fill it with you know space yep. and counters yep. and whatever and yep. I mean you're, you're reminding me of a little bit of Mark Semenich who uh, I read in his designer's notes uh, what, for one of his games he said he was basically redoing sort of a system that he had done maybe. 10, 15 years before. And one of his thoughts when he was, you know, sort of putting it together was like, I don't want to play test this. There's way too many phases. It's just I we gotta streamline this somehow because I'm not gonna I, I'm not gonna get this out because I'm not gonna be able to play test it because I'm not gonna have any fun doing it. So right. I need to figure out a way to streamline this and streamline that. So there's I mean, yeah, people go people definitely go through that evolution. Um yeah. so so we've talked about all these different um next question of it, and you can probably see this coming, is what about a fourth edition, Streets of What's the chance for that? I tried
1: that? to do a fourth edition. I tried to do a fourth edition. It was on Kickstarter, and a few days just before it was going to, it was. By the way, the the
0: Kickstarter was for the playtest version. Yes, I remember. Oh, I signed and, up. Yeah, I I I remember getting my money refunded. Yeah. Well, well, not few, refunded. I wasn't. It wasn't. It was never. Was never charged. Right? Never charged. Yeah.
1: Just a few days before it was going to hit its its goal. Yeah. I canceled it. I canceled it. So let's go back to, you know, how it started. Yeah. Why did number four start? Remember Art Lupinacci called because he was a fanboy. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So guess what? I'm sitting here and years later, literally years later, 10 years, whatever it was, well, that was 2017 that we did that. So in like 2015, end of 2015, ring, ring, another phone call, you know, hey, Dana, you know, how about doing another Streets of Stalingrad? And, you know, at this point, did I learn? Did I say no, thank you and hang up? <laughs> right, no, right, no right. of course not. You know, uh-huh. it's like, so, so anyway, the guy's name, Russ Shulki, was so, so crazed about the game. And I, I, I mean that in a good way. A good way. Okay? I
0: mean, I know exactly, I'm taking it exactly the way you mean it.
1: That when he graduated, he moved to Russia and he moved to Volgograd. Okay. He married a Russian woman and he spent years in the archives there and in the state archives just trying to get more and more stuff on Stalingrad. Okay? It was like, oh my God.
2: Yeah. All right. Okay. I mean
1: it just it's just amazing. The good news is that, you know, when we did it, we could only use the archives that had the German records, right? so they looked at the russians from their intelligence gathering their interrogations their photo, you know radio intercepts and all that and so they put together orders of battle built on that and then we looked at it with a few books that had published in english from russia but at the time it was the cold war and they weren't they weren't sharing sure this was after – Russ moved there after the fall of the Iron Curtain, the collapse of the Soviet Union, and that's when they were like, oh, yeah, you can – here, sure, you want to yeah. take stuff out of our archives? Right. Give me money, right? Yeah. We're not yeah. we're starving, right. right? So Russ ended up there at the right moment, you know, right point, time to do this and it ended up with this huge amount of information. The good news is that all that stuff we did about the Germans was like 98 percent correct. Okay, which you would expect. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there were only a few things that we missed that were like lower level, didn't matter. Here's the really surprising thing. Russ confirmed that we were like ninety-two percent correct on the Soviet order of battle.
2: Hmm. Okay.
1: All we missed was there was a division that came in later. The Germans had identified it from radio intercepts and, and prisoners and so forth, but the division didn't cross the volga till later than we have it so it's outside the the parameters of the game Got okay it, but otherwise you know and and again a few small units you know sure. like you missed at a company level game company size units you're going to miss a few units, and yep. we did, okay? okay? Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is that it, we were really feeling good about ourselves, you know, mm-hmm. strutting around, going, hoo hoo you know, we got yeah. we'll all this accuracy right. in a in a game uh, where both lang- – neither language is English, right? Yeah. And the records have been buried in archives, and we still were able to do a fairly good job of presenting the historical information. Uh, so Russ wanted to do it and he wanted to do this like art. You know, he wanted to, I want to be part of this. I want to be part of a fourth edition and I'll do the graphics, all of it. You don't, you know, Dana, you don't have to get involved. Cause I said to him at the time, I said, you know, at this point in my life, (laughs) I don't have like months to spare on yet another version of streets of So we worked out a deal where Russ was going to do that. He had uh, basically found maps in the archives in the Soviet union where there were they weren't that different, but there were a lot more positions marked, mm. important historical mm-hmm. positions, sure. okay. you know? And so those would be on the map. Uh, some of the, uh, the, there was a distortion when an airplane flies over, you know, a, a piece of terrain and shoots down, the extreme edges, you know, are distorted. Okay. It's only straight down. So when the Germans did their streets, their Stalingrad maps, the, the map is like, like this. You see how it? It's, it's, of,
0: yeah, it's 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 fisheye kind of like you see. You kidding. have the you have the yeah. the the lens distortion. Sure,
1: exactly. And so that's what the first edition and uh, second and third editions all had that distortion. So he said, "No, no, we're going to do this where it's the most accurate we can using Russian maps, uh, Soviet maps, and and the Soviet over battle." And we would have things that we never had in like all the exact names of the Volga flotilla ships. Okay? And what they were and what they were armed with and everything. Russ did an incredible job of research. Okay. So we were working on this, and I said, This is the only thing I asked. This is it. I'm going to be the designer because Russ admitted he had never designed a game. He wanted to be involved in the game, and he was happy with the graphics and the order of battles. Okay. And I said, You get to say, I'm not going to tell you what to do with that, with one exception the play testing. If the play testers say, they would want something to stand out, for example, okay? And they want that somehow graphically to stand out because it's a game. Remember, this is a game that that overrules your graphic desire, okay? It's got to work as a game. This is what we're selling it as. And and Russ signed it, signed the agreement, said, yeah. And during the playtest, we decided, you know, maybe we'll make sure people are actually going to buy this, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. before we go and print
0: it. So you made so- Kickstarter for a playtest version.
1: You got it. Exactly. Here you go, folks. You know, here's not the actual things. game. <laughs> well, it's not the full game. Right, right, it, right, 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 right. It is the actual game. Well, right? it's, yeah, it's
0: going to change, though. It's going right. to it, 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 it will likely change based on what happens to this. Yes. You got it. Right.
1: So while I'm there at Consim World and we're talking with people and we're, you know, we're playtesting yeah. the game. Uh, I had told, uh, you know, Russ, before I went down there, I said, you know, I'm concerned that The the uh, in the third edition, the hilltops stood out because they were colored differently. A little bit brighter, so you could see where the hill, you could look at the map and see the hills, right? Yeah. As a gamer, it's like... Standard game,
0: graphic design. Yeah.
1: Like, show me where the hills are. Right. Okay, guess what? got there and his map looked like a map. Okay? Truly, it looked like a map, Uh which means that is that a hill? It's like, yes, that's a hill. Well, make it stand out, you know? Which I knew was going to happen. Right. So I, I I'm in touch with him. I'm yeah. calling back and forth. Uh, Russ is living in Ohio, and I oh. said, "Hey, guys down here, they, I told you they wanted to have those hills yeah. marked out so that they could see them. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, it's just real
0: simple." Right.
1: And Russ said, "No,
0: no, he doesn't want that to change." No, no, my art is perfect. It's going to
1: let what you have there. And I said. I thought we were playtesting. Yeah. I thought we were playtesting right. every aspect of this, so it would be as successful as a game. Yeah. You know, I'm not. I'm not talking to people here to tell me what they want fixed, and then not fixing it. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. It's like, and and Art, I mean, uh, excuse me. Uh, Russ said no, and I realized, uh, and I reminded him. I said, you signed an agreement <laughs> with me. You right. know, that said you were willing to do this, mm-hmm. and that I would control the game. Right. And he said, no, I don't – I'm not going to do any more work on it. And so I realized at that point this was going to be a disaster. This was going to be a huge disaster, and so I canceled the Kickstarter. (laughs) And everyone started asking, and because obviously lawyers got involved, blah, 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 um, couldn't talk about it, didn't go anywhere, and the official version still today is a difference of – uh artistic expression.
0: Well, that's okay. That's, that's clearly cool. what it was. Yes, but, it was. Yeah.
1: And and I have never talked to Russ again. Uh and Streets of Stalingrad number four is dead. And and honestly, uh I have no interest in another version of a monster game. Okay. Uh, but I will tell you this is this is the big news. Yes. Okay. When I was working on the original Streets of Stalingrad, mm-hmm. All this historical data was available, and I and I was waiting. You know, um, I was waiting on other things to happen, but I decided. You know what? I have enough because John actually got me thinking. He did the battalion level game, John right? Hill. John Hill. I'm sorry, yeah, John oh, Hill. Yeah. Hmm? John Hill. So he did the 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 one map that was about this big. You know, that uh, battalion level game of Stalingrad, right? In fact, I actually worked with John on that, yeah. and I helped him with the order of battle.
0: Yeah, he did battle for um, battle for Stalingrad. Yeah, it was
1: the, uh, for, yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway. Um, I designed a division level, meaning the counters are division, regimental level, battalion level, the company one everybody knows about, and also, uh, a squad and sub squad level game of Stalingrad. Obviously not monsters, okay? The only one that was a monster game was the company level one. All the other ones are more traditional one map. Uh, board games, okay. Uh, in fact, one of them is a mini game. But the one that I'm working on right now, and uh, I don't know if you know Randy Heller, who, oh, does I a-
0: do, Randy, no, Randy Heller. Randy Heller did Better Woods.
1: Yes. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And I'm working with, he, he called me up. <laughs>
0: People seem to call you up all the time. Good thing you have a phone.
1: That's right. Yeah. Fifty years from now, mm-hmm. I want to have an answering service that says, Street Stalingrad. You know, <laughs> me <a> message. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Randy said, Dana, what, what would it take to come out with you know, Street Stalingrad 4? And I explained to him what, in a short version yes. what I'm talking with you about, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I said, but you know what would make me happy is why don't we do the, the regimental level game? You know, let's do that because now we're talking about, you know, maybe a hundred counters total for both sides. Okay. In a map that's just a standard, you know, would fit on it like a school desk. Okay. And it's not that it wouldn't have good history. It has great history. And I have had all these years to think about how to basically portray combat in an urban environment, right? So that it reflects actual history and what happened. And Randy said, Let's do it. So, we are now in the preliminary phase of basically coming up with Streets of Stalingrad with the subtitle Fire on the Volga. Hmm. Okay. Regimental scale, okay. normal sized board game. Uh, it's got some really innovative things in it from all the years I've done this. Uh, and I decided this would be a perfect time to announce it. No more monster games. No more monster games. Okay but there will be a fourth streets of Stalingrad.
0: Excellent. Well, that's, I'm glad to hear that. That's an, that's outstanding to hear the name is the name still just gives me shivers all the time. Uh, The, uh, the, the interesting, so how, who's going to, who's going to publish it? Is that going to, are, are you guys, uh, because Randy, Randy did. So just for the listeners, because they're going to want to, the ones who don't know should know that Randy Heller designed Bitter Woods, which was sort of his, uh, his bulge game, uh, yes. that uh, you know there was the, the Avalon Hill Bruno Sinagoglio did uh, did bulge the eighty one bulge, and then Randy did what I'll call the ninety two bulge. I think it was or, or it was a, it was a, uh, a Avalon. It was published by an Avalon Hill game, and then he did he went your route also with L two. He published an L two version, which I have downstairs the uh, the L two um, Bear Woods, and. Uh, wh- how how are you guys going to do Streets of Stalingrad 4? Okay. In 2010, I formed my own little company
1: called Lombardi Studios. And you can go there now, Lombardi Studios, S on the end, L- plural, dot com, and you can look at what I've been doing. I publish books and games on military history subjects. And so I'm going to publish the game through Lombardi Studios. Okay. Mm-hmm. Randy is the developer. Okay, the only developer on this, and uh, one of his uh, his really good friends who is a graphic artist who has done a lot of game art is going to be doing the game component art. And his daughter, who is a professional graphic artist, um, Randy was able to convince his daughter <laughs> mm-hmm. to do the box art. Okay. Okay. All of this is like super preliminary. It's no longer top secret. Obviously, yeah. I'm <laughs> announcing yeah, it here. Right, right. Uh, We're going to start – we're going to build a web page within LombardiStudios.com, and we're going to show people the artwork and the other stuff. We're coming up with playtest copies and so forth, Uh, and I'm hoping if Consim World Expo happens in August, which Mm is what –
0: It it will. Yeah, that's that. I mean unless it gets canceled, but yes, yes.
1: Yep. Yep. If it, if it comes off, cause I got my shots too. You mentioned you got, I got my COVID shots and hopefully it'll be safer yep. for us all to do this. Um, I'm going to show off, uh, the playtest copy of streets of Stalingrad, a uh, number four,
0: number four, uh, not monster. Fire on the know, Volga. Yeah. At, yep. At Consum awesome. World. Nice. Well, that's, that's great to hear. I don't think I'm going to make Consum World this, uh, this year. Cause I'm, unfortunately, I think I'm on call that weekend, but, uh, uh, I will – I mean obviously, is are you going to uh, – is it going to go as a Kickstarter? Is it going to – how are you going to get your money up front?
1: Kickstarter is the best way. Like I – you mentioned my card game. Yeah. Kickstarter is the way to go, yeah. be honestly, because um, I mean – You don't make a lot of extra money. Okay. What it does is it raises the money to help you pay the printer.
0: Pay the printer, exactly. Yes.
1: So the game can become a reality. Right. 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 And then hopefully you'll sell enough copies after that that you can pay the rent and the (laughs) mortgage. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, yes, Kickstarter is the way that we're going to go. And hopefully, with enough pre publicity promo and and advertising and stuff, we will not only get enough Kickstarter people to do that, but It'll keep it going and more people that have heard about the game, never had a chance to play the monster game, but would like to go, you know, what is this all about and why does this battle have such uh, amazing, you know, uh, imagination about it? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're trying to do.
0: I'm very excited about that. Now, I I would be remiss if I didn't. uh, we've, We've alluded to your card game. Uh, it's actually called McGowan and Lombardi's The Great War. Um, yes. tell me about your uh how how you how long you've known Roger McGowan.
1: Roger was one of the artists who provided illustrations for Conflict Magazine. Mm. That's how long I've wow. known Roger. Okay. okay. Mm-hmm. So we go way back. Yeah. Um, and we've stayed in touch over many years. Now we haven't always worked professionally together. Mm-hmm. I went off to Model Retailer. Um he was involved, Roger was involved with the box cover for the third edition I did with L2,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay? Um, and and Roger also has had this huge portfolio of artwork that every gamer knows, box covers, component art, and so mm-hmm. forth. Yep. And so I was sitting there thinking, you know, I, I'm working at the time a few years ago during the 100th anniversary of World War One. I. Mm-hmm. I got hired to do some historical Consulting, Mm -hmm. I said, you know, I've just done all this research. I've got piles of this information. Why don't I turn it into a game? And I said, you know, but I'm just not going to do, you know, I have to run from this trench to that trench. That doesn't interest me. I decided maybe I should do a card game. Where am I going to get illustrations? And I thought, ooh, I could call my buddy Roger, right? Right. And and Roger's like, yeah, sounds like fun, right? So we start with a base of his illustrations. Which are on about forty percent of the cards, and the cards the the cards that have subjects that he like you know wireless field telephones and things that are not specifically done in a, in a graphic way by him because he's busy he's like super busy and I told him, no no I, I want you involved with this and I want your input you're like the you are the designer of the graphic approach to this look at the cards tell us what we need to fix the box art in fact he did the box art that is at the uh, uh, printer right now. For the, for the Great War card game. And that's why I call it McGowan and Lombardi's, you know, the Great War. It's not the co-designers, it's that we're co-creators. Got it.
0: Okay. Outstanding. And so you told me that this is, uh, you think this is going to get out there in April, which is a pretty darn fast turnaround time. When did the, the Kickstarter close? In November, December?
1: December 7th. Hmm. December 7th it was over we had reached our goal and then we had <laughs> we had the holidays do a little bit of an interference right um but we still were able to continue play testing during the campaign after the campaign uh and in fact right there now today i've got the latest version of the rules we're going through uh in fact we talked about things that are simple it's um hang on here, here we go One page rules. Wow. One page. Yeah. Run
0: back. Both okay. sides. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, I'm really proud of that because one of the things I try to do is I loved Avalon Hill games when I started, because I, I think it's one of them even were printed on the inside of the box covers or mm-hmm. was that brothers? Somebody uh, yeah. was like, I said, I want to go back there, you know, giving somebody a 48 page book of rules today and say, here, read this and we'll start playing. It's like, that's not happening. Just it's not right. And I wanted to be able to provide something that anyone could sit down and get the idea of how to play it and play it very quickly. Okay, which is which is what the other half of this whole thing with why doing a card game, because I think that you don't have to learn all the terminology of uh, cardboard counters and hexes and facing and mm-hmm. all that sort of thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So now. So- do you, so you, I assume you're going to print enough copies that uh, it will t- not just be available for the Kickstarter backers, that you'll be able to sell it through uh, the Lombardi uh, Studios.
1: Absolutely. In, in fact, that's uh, we're going to print 1,000 copies. We had 500 people order a copy through Kickstarter, okay? And one of the things I, sh- I should tell people – um, if they're interested, I don't know if you can do this when you do your editing. Yeah, I can. Uh, I can give you the uh, the web address, or they can just contact me. Oh,
0: I'll, I'll put it on. I'll put it on the podcast. So okay. just give me the. So so uh, for the listeners, if you want to get uh, if you want to uh, get the web address for uh, Daniel Lombardi Studios uh, uh, Great War, it will be in the podcast notes.
1: Yep, and, and in fact, we have a pre order store that's still offering. The, the game at the Kickstarter price, so even if you missed the Kickstarter, you can do that. You can do it before it ships, okay? And the reason I did that is because there, you can't reach everybody; it's just right. impossible. And some guys kept contacting me, you know, days afterwards and said, "I just missed the Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I I wanted that game." Yeah. So I have the link. Where people can go and literally buy not only the game but the extra special add-on items that mm-hmm. we've created since then. Okay. Great. Perfect. So I'll give that to you when no. we're done. You can put that up. I'll and, put it up there. Uh, and then people and or I'll tell you this, and I, mm-hmm. I have no problem offering this. If anyone has a problem or a question, they can always reach me at Dana dot lombardi with a Y on the end at gmail.com. Dana dot lombardi at gmail.com. Okay. And I'll send you the link. I'll answer questions, whatever people want.
0: Sounds great. Well, that's awesome. Well, Dana, this has been a singular pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time. We've been here for 90 minutes, and they've been uh, 90 incredibly enjoyable minutes. I am going to be continue clipping uh Stalingrad counters tonight. That's uh, been a uh, a nightly uh, uh thing of mine for a while and uh, my friend Ken and I are going to sit down and and play the third edition. Uh and uh thanks for all of the um, you know what I found you know what I found uh, uh recently in some random place a, a copy of Kalkin Goal that you designed. Uh I don't know how when that is even from. It must be from uh, it was from shortly Unfl- after Conflict Magazine yeah. issue number 5. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, guess what's my next game? What? Second edition, Calkin Gold. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it is. It's going to be You're the lying. next. Oh, no, I, I'm telling you the truth. I had all. I have a playtest copy of that. That'll oh. come out. The, Rand, when Randy called me, you know, about doing Streets of Dunninger number four, yeah. I was already working on Calkin Gold second oh, edition. That's and guess hilarious. who called me to do it? Jack Green. Oh my he god! He was the chief playtester. He said, this is a great game." I said, "Well, okay, why not? You know, yeah. it's 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 within the realm of possibility because it's it's a, it only has I think less than a hundred. Yeah, it's small. It's you know? there.
0: Yeah, you, yeah. It's it's not that big. So yeah, that game is literally in the works." Outstanding. Well, uh, that's I'm, I love to put the new one next to the old one. Uh, that's amazing. I, I I thought you were. Jo- I was sure you were joking. Like uh, no, no, no. So it's true. Uh, true Excellent. I mean, I joked
1: a lot during this this interview. <laughs> but and I, love, I mean, Thank you so much. You know, but uh, no, that's that is true, and it's going to be the next one that's going to be promoted uh, this summer. So okay. like, two games, the Consum World Expo. I was going to have Calkin go there anyway. And in fact, I think I was going to time the uh, Kickstarter for it at Consum world. Okay. Um, but the, the street stalling red number four is not going to actually kickstart till next year. Okay. I see. Okay. But I was going to do a preview
0: with yep. Randy and say, Hey guys, you know, this one's the next one. So the Calking Gold uh, Kickstarter actually come out, uh, uh, soon uh, to, to the listeners. I own that game and I have it and uh, I can vouch for it. So, uh, I'll be very interesting to see what, uh, what happens with version two, but I'll be getting that one. So, uh, okay. Dana, thanks so much. It was great. And uh best of luck to you and I'll uh, I'll be looking out for uh your new uh productions. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Oh, thanks, Dana. Bye bye. Thank you.